I want to talk about a relationship with God. Basically, it starts with prayer. I want to speak on the subject, praying with purpose. Brother Rutherford called and asked a couple of days ago, and I said, Brother Rutherford, I, I would like for you to go ahead with the ministerial development class, but I will be speaking on prayer. Since then, I've had the opportunity to encourage several people and even answer questions about prayer. My scripture text is taken from 1 Thessalonians 5. Praise God. The greatest thing that you have going for you as a Christian is prayer. The greatest thing. Praise God. <clears throat> On your knees, in your closet of prayer, you can be responsible for more souls than an individual without prayer can, even if he's out spreading the word of the Lord. That is, if he isn't praying. Ideally, oh, good to see Elise here. Elise, I saw you earlier, but uh, I failed to mention it. Good to have you here. Ideally, it is just so good to find people who know how to pray and know how to work. There is a simple scripture found in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 containing three words. Pray without ceasing. Pray without stopping. That's basically what it's saying. Somebody said, are we supposed to pray without stopping? I suppose if the Bible says so, we ought to. So we're going to talk about praying with purpose. God bless you. You may be seated. The question came up several years ago in a new convert class that I was teaching. What is the secret to praying without ceasing? How do you do that, Brother Graham? What, what does that really mean? Of course, you and I know that uh, we have other responsibilities that you have to get up and most of you go to a job. Some of you have jobs in which you work alone. might be a little easier than someone who is working, you know, with a group of people. I've instructed on in our Christian development class, I've instructed all the new people coming into that, that the first thing that you need to do every morning is pray. Now, this is not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. If you have a set schedule, in other words, if you can go to bed at a certain time and get up at a certain time, it is a lot easier. Now, in our particular <clears throat> world today, there are so many pressures being placed on people. How many of you feel some type of pressure being placed on you? All right. I was going to, if, if no hands went up, I was going to ask you to give us a testimony as to how you do this. There are some people that are so laid back, you know, that uh, you wonder if they ever receive any, any pressure. Brother Manuel Rogers over in Elam Tabernacle, and please nobody slip this tape to him. He calls me usually gets me on the answering service. He's from Louisiana, Bossier City, Louisiana. He is so laid back. Brother Burry knows how Brother... He'll call me up and he says, Brother Grant, this is Brother Manuel. 
just thought I'd give you a call to see what you're doing today. <clears throat> Recently, I appointed him to do something for our district board, and he was just so casual. I told him, I said, Manuel, you're as casual in this as Al Capone was in paying his income taxes. He just didn't seem, you know, just... <clears throat> he'll probably live till he's about 150. <clears throat> Such a great man of God. Now, he doesn't preach that way. I mean, he boy, he can... He's a fiery preacher. I mean, he really gets with it. He really does get with it. What do we mean when we say pray without ceasing? What are we talking about? Under all the pressure that we're under, if you have a set schedule, it's a lot easier. I must confess that probably the last year of my life has been the most difficult of all my days on this planet Earth. I've had more pressure, more situations, more emergencies. Of course, we started the building of the, our home. We did not intend to put so much labor in it. And after a while, we were into it so deep, and it's eating me up, and I can't get out of it. I want to finish it and get it over with. But it's caused such a, uh, an uproar in our schedule. Go to bed late. Sometimes get up super early. Sometimes other things, having, having to take care of other things, hardly getting any rest at all. But I can truthfully say as I stand behind this pulpit that I feel very near and very close to Jesus. I really feel that, that every day should be started out in prayer. I don't know how you can survive without it. In Daniel 7, the Bible speaks of the Antichrist, and the Antichrist will wear out the saints. And we preached a message on this. He puts a lot of physical pressure on you, a lot of mental pressure, and a lot of spiritual pressure. A lot of people just live in a mental haze. Some people just feel this physical pressure all the time, just run, 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 run. Tired. You know it's hard to pray when you're tired. One thing about praying first thing in the morning, you will probably be as refreshed then as you will be at any time. Now some people wake up tired, but I'll assure you, when you wake up tired, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you've usually just about had it. <laughs> it's just, it's really good to start the day out in prayer. Communication with God. Prayer is our conversation with God. You cannot have a relationship without conversation. But somehow you have to communicate. Somehow you have to talk. Somehow you have to agree. You have to do that. And the spirit of Antichrist is in the world today, and we are feeling pressures like never before. I personally think that the Christian movement is headed for a lot of persecution. I think, I think we're, it's boiling down to that. Since the November of elections, the greatest avalanche of ungodliness has been dumped upon the American society. Things that were no longer... Con things that were 
have long been considered sin. As Christians, we are made fun of if we even believe in such. It's not going to get any better, I can assure you. I don't know on God's timetable when all this will take place, but I do know that it's prophesied in the Scripture that it will be that way. I also know this, that the Christian movement has never flourished without persecution. Now, I really can't understand that, except that I know that when I'm not under pressure and when I'm not made to pray, usually I don't pray with the, with the fervency that I would, you know, if I had a problem. Most of us perform much better in our relationship with God when we have to pray. Ideally, God should not be our last resort, but He should be our first choice. And we choose the Lord, but we don't always choose to communicate the way we need to communicate until some something drives us to our knees. But I think on a daily basis, if we can learn to pray without ceasing, how do you do that? You go into your closet of prayer every morning. Pick a nice place, preferably a quiet place. I pick a dark place where I can't see because my mind gets too active when I see things, things that are not right, pictures that are crooked on the wall, things of this nature. Just I catch myself going around praying, straightening things up. I said, look, I can't keep house while I'm praying. <laughs> You've got to zero in on God and your relationship with God. And you can pray until the anointing of the Holy Ghost begins to flow out of you. If you've never done this, it is such a joyful occasion to be able to pray until you just feel that flow coming out of you. Basically, I tell people this, how long should you pray? If you want to follow the Scripture, praying without ceasing... You must pray until you can not stop praying. In other words, the Holy Ghost is moving through you and out of you. And you're communicating with God. So after a while, you look down at your watch and realize that other responsibilities are calling. But you have zeroed in on God. You have locked yourself in to God. And you are well aware that when you get up and go on your responsible route for the day, that you will make that day calling constantly upon the name of the Lord. So when you leave your place of prayer, you pray all the way to the, to the car, or all while you're getting dressed, if you're praying at home. The people who come by church, you get go outside, get in your car, you're still rejoicing. You go down the you go down the highway and you're rejoicing and praying. If you notice, and I don't think it's by accident, first Thessalonians five sixteen, the Bible says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. In other words, the two seem to be connected. That there is a there is a connection between the two. And so as a result that when you go on your responsible route for the day, regardless of what it may be, that, that, that you're, it's, it's flowing out of you and you're communicating with God. 
You may stop momentarily and visit with a friend, but that friend will even feel that communication coming out of you. I remember one time spending a good uh, while in prayer. I went to get a haircut at a different place, never been in the barbershop before. And when I walked in the barbershop and sat on the chair, the man looked at me and says, Are you a pastor? And I said, Do I look like a pastor? He said, Well, not really. Most people think I look like a gangster. <clears throat> well, I've been told that by a few of the fun-loving people of our congregation. <clears throat> but uh, <clears throat> I said, why do you think I'm a pastor? Well, there's just something different. I don't know what it is. I feel something. Do you feel something when you're around your pastor? I, I asked the man. Well, not necessarily. But it just came to me that you're probably a pastor. I said, well, I really am a pastor. You know, I, I, I personally think that the man could feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost that I was feeling. No glory to me, it's, it's Jesus. I mean, you cannot feel a human spirit. If the human spirit is so ugly that you feel it, it's because the devil has been influencing it. And if you feel the spirit of a person because it's so beautiful, it's because that God has been influencing that spirit. So as a result that if we're praying without ceasing, that our day goes better, we can, we can better adjust to adverse situations. We can be set back mentally or physically. A lot of things can happen to us and... It doesn't get us down in the dumps. Now life is not easy. And you think that it's, it's, it's easy until, until something monumental comes your way. And you find out that it's not. It, it's good to have somebody on the sideline praying for you that's not personally involved. So that they can kind of coach you along and support you. This is the reason why that we have to do this for each other. There are times in which you are feeling so heavy. I cannot feel your pain. Now, I suffer when you suffer. The Bible tells us that when one member suffers, that we all suffer. But I cannot feel the excruciating agony and mental torment that you go through. I may feel it in part, but certainly not to the extent that you're feeling it. But it is good because sometimes life deals you such a blow that you really don't know how to pray or what to say or what to do. You just simply don't know. We need intercessors. Brother Rich Thomas subscribes to a, a, a monthly magazine called Intercessors of America. Uh, he has shared this with me, and it's a, just, it's really a, a great uh, paper. It lets me know that even though that a lot of people are not involved in, in the truth as we are, they have a relationship with God. Listen, there are millions of Americans calling upon the name of the Lord. Many people are concerned about our nation. Many people are concerned about the morality or maybe I should say the immorality that we have in our nation. 
And people are calling upon God everywhere. What does the Bible tell us? If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will heal their land. If America's land is healed, it will be when people intercede, when they seek the face of God. Romans 8.26, the Bible says, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with, with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is talking about praying in the Spirit. In the book of Jude, I'd like for you to turn there. There is a, a sister scripture to this. The book of Jude, verse 20. There's only one chapter of Jude. Now Jude's right before the book of Revelation. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, or praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is saying that there is a place that you can reach an intercessory prayer in which your spirit reaches out to God, and it is really not so necessary what you say as much as the communication and relationship that you have going with God at that particular time. I consider this to be the ultimate in prayer life. And I think that this is what the Bible is telling us when it says pray without ceasing. I do not feel, unless you know how to be an intercessor, that you can pray without ceasing. Some of the most profitable prayers you will ever pray perhaps will be in the presence of of some of your friends, or maybe even in the presence of some of your enemies, while you are communicating with God, reaching out to God, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, I have never considered, I have never considered that meditation is prayer. I think there is a difference. Uh, I consider prayer to be verbal. Uh, I consider meditation not to be verbal. But I connect the two scriptures when it says rejoice evermore and pray without ceasing. I connect those two together. That meditation is indeed a communication with God. Prayer is a communication with God. You certainly cannot verbalize all the time. But still there is that desire and it finds its way out of your mouth in some of those moments in which you are not communicating verbally with someone else. In other words, you're in constant communication with God. If America does not go to its knees, our nation is gone. I'm, just, I'm here to tell you, I feel that way about it. Now, there are many people that are praying, and I would not want any of you to believe that, uh, that, that I have this concept that there's only a few people praying. There are a lot of people praying. But, on the other hand, 
you have to understand that there are many, many, many people who are set out to destroy Christianity. Right now, fundamental Christians are being associated with situations like we have down in Waco, Texas. We've even had some of our people to be called up. And some of our pastors, and I ask, are you affiliated with this group in Waco? Land sakes of life, you know, we're so far removed from that type of militant strategy, this type thing. But it's amazing. But see, people who don't know, and especially people in the media, and I can assure you, you can't believe everything you read that they write. But uh, it just appears that 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 this situation is causing a lot of Americans to be anti-religious. But on the other hand, even though the devil might use something like that to make people's feelings for religion to be, uh, you know, the feelings that they have to not be wanted and that religion is not a, a valid force in our American society... Uh, I think as Christians, we, we owe it to people who are forming opinions like this to really let our light shine and really live a good, God-fearing, peaceful life. Now what I'd like to do, I'd like to just talk about some practical evidences of a life of prayer. Uh, or we could say symptoms. We have several people who are sick. And, uh, you know, you get these requests, and they say, well, this person has the flu. How do you know you have the flu? Have you been to see the doctor? Well, I know what the symptoms are. Usually we associate symptoms with sicknesses. But on the other hand, there are signs of, uh, uh, of good health. Uh, they're just signs of good health. Uh, you, can, you can look at people and... And tell if they're healthy. Not every time, but for the most part. There was a, there's a gleam in the eye. The complexion is, is right. You know, someone that's sick, they said, oh, his color's not too good, you know. And he sure looks pale or whatever. Or there's just something about, you know, the, the old smile is kind of turned upside down like an undertaker's smile. And, um, you know, things are gloomy. Uh, Sister Grant and I happen to have a few black Angus cows, and when I go out to feed those cows, I look for signs of good health. When a cow gets up, every time he gets up, if he's in good health, he'll stretch himself. That's just a good sign. If a cow's sick, he gets up, he won't stretch. Another thing, they'll come right up to you and open their big old mouths, and they have this real sweet breath. They really do. It's, it's like they've been eating something real sweet. Well, the Brunker knows all about farm life. He can tell you. That's, you know, the, the farmers check this. And if you happen to have a cow that's got a bad breath, something is bad. Something's wrong. Well, <clears throat> I think sometimes when we look at the Christian, we need to look at practical evidences of a life of prayer. In other words, you may say that you're praying, and maybe you're not praying. Just like you can talk sometimes without saying something, you can also pray without praying. 
you can go and spend an allotted time in the presence of God and really have your mind locked in on many other things. The cares of this life press very severely against the Christian. Some of you who are self-employed, you run your own businesses. You know, you know what it's like when you, you, things are not going well and payroll has to be met and no job's coming in. You know what it's like to get down to pray and you take that to the Lord. And, you know, you're intense in prayer, but whenever you, you leave that area of your petitions that you put at the feet of Jesus, uh, you find that, that, that still you're in this frame of mind where you can't have that good open communication with God. Now the first practical evidence of a life of prayer is an attitude of thanksgiving. Paul tells us to give thanks in all things. Let me tell you something. That is not one easy chore. Because there are a lot of things that uh, it, it is very, very difficult to give thanks in. I I personally think that Sister Nona Freeman's message over in Parkway at our prayer and Bible conference was the best example that I have heard of a person giving thanks in everything and how that God saw her through the most severe trial of her life by just giving thanks. She said, I don't know what the purpose of this is, but I'm supposed to give thanks in everything. So she began to thank the Lord. Not because that this trouble had come to her husband, that is, bad health, car accident it was, but the fact that she, in such a situation, could still cry out to God and have a relationship and help her husband. So she began to thank the Lord. I, I have to work on this. You know, the, th- the thing about it is, if you can give thanks and everything, uh, situations don't get on your nerves so much. Uh, how do you overcome a bad temper? Oh, kind of hit a touchy spot here, didn't I? <laughs> any of you ever had a... Have any, have any of you besides myself ever had a problem with your temper? Okay. Dan Thorpe raised his hand. I would never have expected that out of Dan, you know. <coughs> Angie, maybe, yeah, you know, no. No, she was saying, yeah. <coughs> you ever have problems like that? Well, I have. There was, there was a time in my life, because I wasn't living for God, in which I did some of the most stupid things, very ridiculous things. I suffered from temporary insanity. You just go crazy. You do crazy things. Later on, you get thinking about yourself, oh my, how dumb that was. And usually that is the case. If we could learn to give thanks in everything, we can overcome anger. Things will not, you know, <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about? So instead of wanting to do like this, we do like this. (laughs) Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. We learn this little chorus. I don't care what the devil may do. 
What, how does that course go? I, no, that's not the one. I know that, that chorus, but there was another one uh, that we sung. That's, I got it mixed up with that. That's, uh, But at any... I don't worry when things go wrong. Jesus. I can't get the tune to it. It's amazing what praising can do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's amazing what praising can do. Hallelujah. I don't worry when things go wrong. Jesus. Smile. Heart with a song. It's amazing what praising can do. And I'm singing this chorus. You know, we sung it in church probably 500 times one night. That, that is an exaggeration. But we sung it, we sung it a long time. And we, you know, we just, it's one of those choruses where we just got on it. We sung it, we sung it, we sung it. We just recently moved in the building. And, and I'm coming down the road toward the church. Pocketbook is flat. Bank account's flat. No money at all. I mean, just one of those times, here I am, and, and, and going down the road. And would you believe when I got to that part, I don't worry when things go wrong. All of a sudden, it was like my car went out of gear. I meant out of gear. That's what it seemed like. It coasted to a stop. I pulled it down and low, it wouldn't go. I put it in reverse, it would not go. So here I am. Now, I'm singing this course. I mean, just, I mean, at the precise moment that I said it. So I get out of the car. It's across the street over here. I get out of the car, walk up here to the church. I just didn't know what to do. I called uh, call a garage or so, and first I called a couple people in the church and uh, didn't get any. I thought somebody was going to tell me, oh, nothing to that, you know. Everybody I called said, Sounds like you got problems, Pastor. Major problems. Finally, I had to get it towed to a garage. And it, it was major. The transmission was out of it. So I came in here and I sat down and I was down, needless to say. But I got to thinking about the song I was singing. I thought, now I wonder if I could get to feeling good about this transmission going out. So I started singing it. I sung the song over and over and over and over and over and over and over. You know, Jesus said, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. The peace that the world gives is always contingent upon things being right in your surroundings. But God puts peace inside that is never contingent upon how things go outside unless you make it that way. But you have to allow it to be that way. Now, this is the first time I've ever known that this happened. Uh, my car was towed over to the Oldsmobile garage. They quoted me a big, big price, 1200 and something dollars for this. It was a, a, a diesel and, you know, there's diesel transmission. I don't know if it's a diesel transmission, but it's a transmission that goes in a diesel car, and it's, it's complicated. I said, I, I just told him, I said, I just don't have the money. So uh, it was probably a day. I said, just leave it there. I'll have to think about it. I don't know what to say. I just don't have any money. 
the garage manager called me and said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. He said, we have a, a man that does work for us. Sometimes we're just swamped. And uh, I called him and asked him if he would fix this. Now, please keep in mind that your car, when you get it back, will have the General Motors warranty, the Mr. Goodwrench warranty. But we're not doing it. And if you can just pay this man. I got that transmission fixed for $220. I couldn't believe that they did it that cheap. But they took it to this man, and I paid them, and they paid him. Well, I didn't have the $220, but... I had made mention that something had happened to my car. There was a, a lady, not knowing I had made mention of this, came up and said, you know, Brother Grant, the Lord, uh, talk with me in prayer and ask me to give this to you. And it was an envelope, and inside was, I think, $250. Paid for the towing and paid for the transmission. Praise God. Praise God. <clears throat> I wonder if we could really develop a, a real trusting attitude of thanksgiving. I wonder what our life would be like. Now, I, I do not in any way want any of these words that I speak tonight to fall on you as condemning words. I think we need to encourage each other to pray and seek God. Along with this, a practical evidence of a life of prayer is an attitude of humility. Now, I'm really amazed at how many people that pray that they get a good case of spiritual pride. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to say something that might diametrically oppose your theology, but I think the reason why that a lot of people are down on Christians in America is because Christians don't always act like Christians. See, Jesus never gave us license to be nasty. And I think instead of trusting God for certain things, some Christians feel that in a very militant way that they are in to enforce the Bible upon the world. There's not even one scripture in the Bible that tells a sinner that he's supposed to go to church. You know that? Now, I can find a few that talks to Christians about this. Praying is not the responsibility of non-Christians. Why is it then, some people, the more they pray and the more they fast, the nastier they get in their attitude. They get lifted up with pride. It's because that their communication is not really what it ought to be. I've seen women with unsaved husbands. They get a few scriptures under their belt. And they think they can walk in and I mean, straighten that household up. They find out it doesn't work that way. Wow. I mean, things really fall apart. when maybe if they just take the humble road. Now, please understand, the opposite of pride is not humility. The opposite of pride is shame. Humility 
is thinking of yourself no higher than what you ought to. Basically, humility is just being yourself. Sometimes we think the opposite of pride is, is humility. So we see these people, you know, and, and the way they look, and we think that being humble is, you know, like a worn-out shoe that's been through several rainstorms. You know, that's not what we're talking about either. We're talking about just being what you are, not putting on any anything, just, just being like you are, just being yourself. Being relaxed and being yourself. Another practical evidence of a life of prayer is, and we've, we've touched on this, is the ability to trust or believe in God in all circumstances. Do you trust that you are in the hand of God? Do you actually believe you're in the hand of God? Sometimes it's... it's if you haven't been praying the way you need to pray, sometimes you feel that maybe God forgot your name. You know, you get up in the morning, Lord, this is John Grant. Remember me? was baptized in Henderson, Texas. Received the Holy Ghost April 15, 1961. I live it. Well, I don't know where I live now. <laughs> I use my old address. I live at 4873 Felon Road, Lord. Zip code 53704. Telephone number 608-249-0251. Do you remember me, God? you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like that? Now, some of you will go through some very difficult situations in life. And I think it's only normal that you feel... Like Job felt. But we're talking about on a, kind of a daily basis, not aware that God is with you. You see, if you pray without ceasing, you will be made aware that God is by your side every moment. Like Roy working in the plumbing, every pipe you cut, Jesus is there. You know that? Every computer key that you punch, Jesus is there. That's the way it works. Every estimate that you make out, Jesus is there. Praise God. I trust in Him and His ability to keep me. Well... This one is what this Bible study is all about, and that's the ability to pray in all circumstances. There are circumstances that come when it's a whole lot easier to cry. It, it is a whole lot easier to just say, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. But you will find that a lot of this thank you, Jesus, prayers that have been condemned by a lot of people, And when it gets down to it, it's probably the best way to seek after God. Is it, when people are seeking for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you don't expect them to pray 
structured prayers. They get down here, they're, they're hungering after God. You'll find that, that they forget all about their, the structured prayers. It's just, I, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And praise God for that. Now, that. A lot of emphasis has been placed on structured prayers, and I, we do that in our prayer meetings, and I think it's great, but there has to be a balance. There are times in which my wife and I relate to each other with an agenda in mind. We set goals. We've been working on the house. I have not tried to set any time table for moving in because I don't know what I'm going to be doing from one day to the next. It's been about two weeks since I worked on it outside of this week. Somebody said, when are you moving? I don't know. What are your goals? I don't know. I thought you live by goals. Yes, but I have greater priorities. But every day we go down there, this is what we say. Now, we'd like to get this much done. And we have a lot of fun just living by an agenda. But when it's birthday time or anniversary time or fun time, we take off sometimes on Tuesday and just, what are we going to do today? No agenda. Just, if we want to sit in the porch swing and smile at each other all day, we will. You follow what I'm saying? That the deeper the intimacy the less likely you are to have an agenda. And I, I personally think that, that structured prayer is great and has its place, but it should not overwhelm to the point that people cannot be left alone to seek God. The first part of our monthly revival prayer meetings, the first hour we just seek God. We just... Leave people alone. Let that person seek God. The second hour, we usually structure prayer. We couldn't dare turn it around the other way because why pray about somebody else's needs if you have not drawn near God and sought God and sought His face? Also, the ability to communicate openly and honestly with God. Let me ask you this. In your own mind right now, think of the, the worst thing that, that has happened to you as far as your relationship with God is concerned. Let's say in the last year. The worst thing. The worst thing going. Maybe losing your temper and acting like a child. Uh maybe under your breath saying something that wasn't right, maybe having some feelings of hatred against someone, maybe some deep, dark, mysterious feelings about someone of the opposite sex. Now, <clears throat> in a closet of prayer, are you able to open up your heart to Jesus and talk to Him about it? 
Can you do that? Now certainly, you would not want to do this when there are a lot of people around. But could you get alone someplace? And could you just sit down someplace, maybe on a log or a stump out in the forest? Could you sit down and just talk to Jesus just like you'd talk to their very closest friend? Boy, I hated it when I was growing up and I did something wrong and my parents found out about it. My mother always seemed to find out first. And this is what she'd say. She'd say, Now, and my mother was not afraid to take action, but I did some pretty bad things. I meant some terrible things. Some unmentionables. And when I did that, she would not take action. She said, I must first confer with Dad. Now, she, she was not the type of mother that'd say, wait till Dad gets home. No, she wouldn't do that. If I needed to be corrected, she corrected me. But sometimes I did some very horrible things, and this is what she'd say. I must confer with Dad. Well, when Dad would walk in, and she'd say, I've got to talk with you, Emery. And it's almost like he just, I could just see, and he just, like, what did you do? <laughs> then they'd go in the other room. And I'd left, just be left sitting. They're talking about me. They're discussing my problem. Listen, I, I could have just died. There were a couple of times I actually prayed, Lord, help me to die today. And before Dad finds out about this, Mother. Is that something? Now, the thing about it is, oh, the, after, the, after Mother had clued him in, and then they sat down and we started talking about it, and, and I started talking, they'd always say, why did you do this? And that is cause. I don't know. You mean you don't know why you did something this bad? I have no idea. Why did you do it? I don't know. We've all been through that, haven't we? But once we got talking about it, I felt the relief of pressure. But I'll tell you, just the very thought of me having to talk about it just kill me. And some people are that way with God. But you've got to understand that all things are open before God. That there never are secrets that are kept from God. The Bible even says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So whether you have adopted this policy or not, you need to do it. And that is the ability to communicate openly and honestly with God. Talk to him about it. It's amazing how much the Holy Spirit can help you when you talk to God about your problems. If you're trying to hide it, you never will overcome it. Now here is something that I want you to really listen to. Really listen to this. An attitude of contentment and rest. You ever feel like you're a lion in a cage at Somebody needs to let you out. 
impulsive spenders some people are. Things are never right. They think if they make things better in life that, that that'll help their feelings. And usually it doesn't help their feelings at all. I think America probably is as, as full of, of uh, this as any nation I know of. A lot of dissatisfaction with the present. Can you be content in whatever state you're in? The Bible tells us to. Can you do that? All right, another practical evidence of a life of prayer is an attitude of security. Do you feel secure in God? Do you? I think a lot of uh, guilt, low self-esteem comes from the fact that we just don't feel secure in God. Uh, the devil, not by accident, is called the accuser of the brethren in the book of Revelation. Sure makes you feel bad about yourself. Well, there's a side to all of us that we're not happy about. Every now and then I'll say something, do something, manifest an attitude. I have to go and pray and repent. But if I have a good relationship with God, I should feel secure in God. Also secure in, you know, some people are worried about the future. Doesn't the Bible tell us that in the last days that men's hearts will fail them for fear of the things that are coming upon the face of the earth? I've known the people that said, well, life is tough because I just live from paycheck to paycheck. Well, join the crowd. There's a whole lot of us doing that. Isn't that right? I mean, there's a whole lot of people doing that. I'm not suggesting that you purposefully put yourself in that position. But I am saying if that happens to be your lot in life for now, and you can't do anything differently even after practicing good Christian stewardship, that you should feel secure in God. All right? An attitude of serenity in the face of adverse circumstances. We pretty much covered that before, but... I have known of parents who have lost children. I have known of families that have been divided because of the loss of a loved one, a wife losing a husband or a husband losing a wife. Just snatched out of life. And yet, the person that you thought, because you knew the love that they had for each other, you thought this would be devastating for them. It will just kill them. That all of a sudden, when that rugged moment came, when they were to visit the funeral home or go to the funeral, when that rugged moment was there, that there was the undergirding hand of Almighty God that picked them up and sustained them. Praise God. Now, an attitude of joyfulness. I think Christians ought to be happy people. Is that right? I pastored some people. You couldn't get them to smile. Some people just don't know how to smile, you know. 
really. They don't. I remember asking this one lady, I said, well, you need to pray about it. She said, well, I did. I said, what happened? She said, it got worse. I said, sister, does anything good ever happen to you? She said, well, not too much. When I got, that's when I got a little perturbed at her. I told Sister Grant, I said, she'd make a good cover girl for the book of Lamentations. <clears throat> An attitude of joyfulness. You know, Satan knows how to sell his program, doesn't he? But see, the Bible tells us, even when we are persecuted, that we should rejoice. Count it all joy. Praise God. Of course, keeping a good attitude. And then, of course, openness toward other people. Openness toward other people. You know, there's nothing that will bring guilt to a Christian like a lack of prayer. You know, it's, it's like water. You turn this glass up and what happens? The water's going to pour out of it. And, and when our souls get empty, guess what happens? Sin just has a way of filtering down into it. You don't have to invite it. It just comes. And sin brings about a lot of guilt Well, let's just put it this way. Miss a revival prayer meeting, and somebody, you had told somebody you were going to come, miss it, and then feel how guilty you feel when you get around them. Now, if you have a legitimate reason, you can logically keep that guilt away. But if, if for some reason you just, oh, I was tired, or I didn't want to go, and somebody starts talking about it, And I've heard people say, oh, they're putting me on a guilt trip. Maybe it's not that person putting you on a guilt trip. Maybe that is something that you sustained or you are sustaining as a result of your lack of communication with God. Praise God. My time is up, and I have uh, four pages of notes, and this is only one page, so. Praise God. We need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. This is so important. We're going into the Easter season. This is when we will be renewing our commitment and relationship with Jesus. On a rugged cross, He died for me. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Praise God. I love Him because He first loved me. Well, I cared nothing for God, God's hand reached out and drew me unto Himself. Why shouldn't I, as a Christian, want to talk, communicate with God? The greatest thing that you have going for yourself as a Christian, and that is prayer. 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 Praying churches are growing churches. You've probably seen the little the little plaque that says the family that prays together 
stays together. When couples are having problems, I ask them, are you praying together? You need to communicate with each other, but you need to communicate with God. Find that place, kneel down. I suggest that couples even hold hands and pray. Now, there are certain things on this list that I call your attention to that you need to be alone. But you also, as a family, you need a family altar, a place to pray, a place to seek God. A good thing also to do is to is to get your kids praying with you. Take their prayer request. I'm just amazed, you know. It's, it's just a, these prayer requests of these kids. These little notes they send. I got notes all in my Bible that kids send. Things that are not so important to adults sometimes are very, very important. Carlin's having her birthday, you know. Saturday, is it? It's amazing. I was walking across the church. She was way over here. And she said, Hello, Brother Grant. You know, she's always smiling. And I said, Well, hallelujah. She says, Oh, I'll be 12 Saturday. She thought I said, how old are you? That's <clears throat> what she had her mind on. So. That was not what I had. Well, that's not what I said. I said, well, hallelujah. She says, oh, I'll be 12 Saturday. <clears throat> so I found out that she thought I said, how old are you? <clears throat> Praise God. Such an important day for Carlin. Praise God. I'd like you to stand if you would. Isn't God good? Don't you love Him? Praise God. And it's such a privilege to be able to pray with brothers and sisters of like precious faith. Praise God. Praise God. You talk to someone and they're down. You talk to someone, they're, they're, I mean, they're really discouraged. And to be able to stand on the sidelines and be their coach, coach them on. Remember, it may be you inside of the arena and them on the coaching side next week. But that's the way life is. But together, with Jesus Christ, we can be victorious. Praise God. We're going to give you a chance to pray. At the conclusion of this Service, I'd like for everybody to find a place to kneel and pray if they would. You can come up around the front and kneel if you'd like. You may just desire to turn around right where you are and kneel. If for some reason that you can't kneel, if you want to be seated and pray. Let's sing a chorus with our praise singers before we do this.